All right, friends, if you have your Bibles, please go ahead and open them with me now to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Last week, as you know, we entered into this, this new section of this letter together, which has to do with, with loving one another within and without the church, even when it means being willing to go without what we believe to be our rightful position or our rightful privilege. Paul's going to continue to instruct us in this today, and he's going to do so by having us look at the example of his own life. And so let's begin by reading 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 to 14 together. Paul says this, he says, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not speak entirely for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right. But we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple? And those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. Amen. May God bless the preaching of his word this morning. Today's sermon is entitled, I Know My Rights. And that phrase, I know my rights, could be the banner over our culture here in America today. We live in a land that boldly asserts that we all possess inalienable rights. The Declaration of Independence, the Bill of Rights, are the most sacred documents of our nation. They, they clearly state the principle that every human being has rights that are given to them by God and that should be acknowledged and respected and freely given by others. No one, not even our government, has the right to take our rights away. They are given by God. That's what our country is all about. I know my rights and you can't take them from me. That's the cry of this land. And many in our country are willing to die to defend their ability to say those words. Friends, Paul also knows and celebrates the fact that he has rights. 
Even Paul knows that he has rights and privileges. Even Paul is willing to strongly defend his rights. In verse 3, it says, this is my defense to those who would examine me. And then he launches into a bold defense of his own rights. And friends, I would not want to be in a courtroom with Paul, or at least going against the Apostle Paul. He knew his rights, and he was brilliant to defend them. He defends them with logic. He defends them with relevant illustration. He defends them with biblical support, chapter and verse. He even defends his rights with a direct command from the Lord Jesus himself. Paul knew his rights, And he, like all of us, could demand that these rights be met by everyone else around him. He could loudly demand that everyone give him what was rightfully his to have. But that is not what Paul does at all. No, verse 12, Paul says, Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. As a, as a continuation from chapter 8, where Paul exhorted those with greater knowledge to love those who had weaker consciences, as a continuation of that argument, Paul now puts himself forward as an example of what it means to know your rights but to lovingly and to humbly release your right in order to love and support those around you. And what Paul says here is revolutionary to our ears here in America. We who demand that people give us what is rightfully ours, we who explode when we feel like our rights have been violated, we who go to war to get what is rightfully ours, we hardly have a category for how Paul instructs us here. This feels so foreign to us. This feels so un-American to us. But yet it is deeply grounded in God's word. And it is a beautiful picture, not of a secular nation, but of the gospel of grace that we celebrate as a local church family together. Friends, the main idea for our message this morning is this. Yes, you have rights. Yes, they are important. And yes, laying them down for the sake of others is glorifying to God. Yes, you have rights. Yes, they are important. And yes, laying them down for the sake of others is glorifying to God. And we have three points. Number one, people with rights. Number two, examples of rights. And then number three, proper use of rights. Let's begin with the first. Point number one, people with rights. You know, as Christians within the church, if, if we're not careful in how we read our Bibles and how we talk about who we are, it can feel at times like we have no rights and that we have no dignity in ourselves. Even as God's word calls us to, to serve and to sacrifice for those around us, even as Jesus himself said things like, blessed are the poor in spirit, and even as Jesus said things like, if anyone takes your tunic, let him have your cloak as well, or if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. As we read and talk about verses like that, it can feel like God is telling us that we're not very valuable, that we don't have any rights. That it's almost good if bad things happen to us. 
And sadly, friends, not many of us need help thinking poorly about ourselves. If, if you have any relational baggage in your life, if you have any regret about mistakes you've made in your life, if you've ever been abused or mistreated, you can have a very low self-esteem and almost assume that you don't have any rights and that you should be mistreated. Christians can often, often have a very low view of who they are before God. But friends, that's not a right way of thinking about ourselves according to our Bibles. The, the Bible does not paint a picture of you in which you have no right and no dignity. No, it actually paints the exact opposite picture. God's word says that you have a lot of dignity and a lot of honor. You are made in the very image of God with equal value and love before God as any other person. We have lots of inalienable rights. Being made in the image of God comes with dignity and with some inherent goodness. And Paul knows this. Look, look at verses 1 and 2. Paul says, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. What is Paul talking about here? Well, coming out of chapter 8, where he helped us to see that even if we have a certain level of Christian maturity, even if we have a certain level of, of Christian knowledge, even if we have certain Christian liberties or rights, we do not have to always exercise that knowledge or those rights. Paul, Paul ends chapter 8 by saying, Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. But Paul has the right to eat meat. He's, he's unmistakable about that. But he's trying to help us to see that within the church, our, our rights do not always have to be exercised as we, as we want them to be. And so now in chapter 9, he's going to give us a very clear example of this from his own life. He, he's going to talk most specifically about how he has given up the right to earn a living as an apostle or as a pastor. He will say that he, he certainly has the right to be paid for his gospel ministry, but he has chosen to go without that right and to not be paid. But in order to give that example to us, he starts by stating that he is free that he has rights. He is an apostle. He has seen the Lord, which comes with inherent authority. He has served the Corinthian church. He has the right to be paid by them for his fruitful ministry among them. And even, even though this seems very Paul-centered, like it seems arrogant of Paul to draw our attention to these things, listen, Paul is just using himself as an example to make a point, and he's making a point that applies to all of us. He, he's speaking of himself, He's speaking of his role as an apostle and his authority, but he's doing all of it in order to speak about how the gospel has led him to lay those rights down. He, he's setting up an example of what it means to lay down your rights. But he does that first by helping us to see that he has rights and by implications how we all have rights. I find it very helpful how he does this. Paul does not create a false humility for himself. He doesn't say, well, well I'm, I'm nothing at all. 
I'm, I'm just a mess. I have no dignity. I'm not really an apostle. I, I don't have any authority. I haven't really done fruitful work among you. I don't really deserve anything from you. He's not falsely humble here. No, he acknowledges who he is and the rights that he does have. And he does that so that we can acknowledge the presence of honor and dignity and the God-given rights that not just he, but all of us have in our lives. We are people with rights. That's not a bad thing to say. This is good. The question is, church family, what are we going to do with those rights? Paul is an apostle. He had major rights, but he laid them down for the sake of the gospel. You know, I'm reading one of my favorite books about Abraham Lincoln again right now. It's called Team of Rivals, uh, and it has to do with how even though he was the president of the United States, Abraham Lincoln had an unbelievable ability to not hold too tightly to his personal rights. Lincoln had many enemies. He had many people who did not respect him, particularly a major general named George McLennan. George McLennan was an arrogant 34-year-old general who loved his own title, who loved his own position, who loved his own rights, and he often derided and disrespected the president. In fact, one time when Abraham Lincoln, the, the president of the United States, came to McLennan's house to discuss a certain matter with him, McLennan stayed upstairs, made the president wait for 30 minutes, and then sent somebody downstairs to say that he had gotten tired and gone to bed and is now asleep. The people with, with Lincoln, the, the rest of the cabinet, they were, they were outraged. And, and they weren't just outraged because McLennan was being a rude person. No, they were outraged because as the president, Lincoln had certain rights and someone like McLennan should have given him what he des deserved. They wanted Lincoln to demand his rights, drag him out of bed, make him listen to you in this moment. But Lincoln, in great humility, was always willing to let go of his personal rights in order to foster unity and to promote the greater good. Friends, that's similar to how Paul is speaking of himself, and by implication, all of us. The call of this text is not to lay down imaginary rights. No, the call is to lay down real rights, real privileges, real opportunities to be seen and appreciated, real opportunities to be respected and heard. Brothers and sisters, you have dignity before God, and you should have dignity before others as well. God, the God of this universe, celebrates who you are as one made in his image and saved by his great grace. If God rejoices over you, so should other people. God wants you to be respected. He wants you to be honored. You are a part of a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You have honor as one saved by his grace. We are people with rights. Just as Paul said, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? So we can say, are we not free? Are we not made in God's image? Doesn't God want us to be respected and honored before others? Doesn't he grieve when his image in us is dishonored? We can say all of that because we are a people with rights, God-given, inalienable rights. But maybe you still doubt that. Maybe you are still convinced that you should have a low self-esteem, that you do not deserve the respect of other people, that it is good that you are mistreated. Well, let's consider the examples and the illustrations that Paul gives to us here. And that brings us to our second point, point number two, examples of rights. So in verses one and two, Paul states that he is free, that he has rights. And now, 
in verses 3 all the way to 14, Paul is going to give us plenty of examples and illustrations to help make his point. In verse 3, he says, this is my defense to those who would examine me. And what he means there is simply, here is my defense to those who might say that I don't have any rights, or more specifically, that I do not have the right to ask for payment for my gospel ministry. And then in verse 4, he launches into his defense. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and brothers of the Lord and Cephas? So, Some people wonder whether Paul is making a defense for lots of different areas or not, or whether he's making a defense for one area. Is he defending his right to eat meat, as he talked about in chapter 8? Is he talking about his right to marry? And is he talking about his right to be paid? But, But I don't think that he's arguing for all of those things. I think that his main topic is his right to be compensated for his gospel work. And when he says, do we not have the right to eat and drink, he's talking about the right to receive a free meal from people within the church for his gospel ministry. When he talks about the right to be married, he's talking about how the other apostles and even Jesus' own brothers and Cephas, Peter, were not only paid for their ministry, but they had families who were supported through their ministry as well. Paul says somewhat sarcastically, or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? So he's not, he's not making a case for multiple rights. He's focusing on his right to be paid for his ministry. And he, he's using the right to eat meals and, and the right to have a family as a way to support his arguments. It's all about compensation. And we know that because everything else that he says by way of illustration and by application have nothing to do with taking along a believing wife or eating food and drink at all. Look at what it says, verse 7. Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? There are several rhetorical questions asked in rapid succession in these verses, and they all help to make Paul's point. Those who serve as soldiers in the army, they don't do so at their own expense. No, they're given three square meals a day. They're given provisions that they need. They are paid. They're not expected to both fight as soldiers and to think about the other details of life. Those who plant a vineyard, the goal is to produce fruit, to produce a crop. But as you tend to the crop, do you not also benefit from the crop? Those who are shepherds, even as they care for the flock of goats, why would they not drink some of the milk in order to sustain them in their shepherding work? These are all very logical, very much ordinary examples of how we all have rights. But someone might say, how do such ordinary examples apply to the church or to Paul's right to be paid? Well, now verse 8 Paul anticipates that very question. He says, do I say these things on human authority? In other words, am I just making this stuff up in order to convince you to give me more money? No, he says, no. He says, does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Paul references this Old Testament text, Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 4, which says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. And so, Does Paul quote Deuteronomy because that verse is in some ways written specifically about a pastor's right to be paid for his ministry? Well, no. He's arguing from the lesser to the greater. He says, is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? 
it was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. But Paul is saying that the Old Testament principle of, of not muzzling an ox when it treads out the grain, because, because you should allow the oxen to eat, even as the oxen help you to eat by plowing your field for you. Don't deprive him of the food that helps him to do his work better than he already is. Paul is saying that the Old Testament principle about the oxen was written entirely for our sake. Meaning, if God cares that much about oxen as they plow the field, how much more ministers of the gospel as they labor in the fields of this world and in the field of the local church, how much more should they also benefit? When he says the plowman should plow in hope of sharing in the crop, he's saying it is strategic for pastors to be able to focus on their gospel ministry without needing to be distracted by the extra details of a secular job. And so whenever possible, pastors should probably be compensated for the gospel work that they're doing. Look at verse 11. He says, if we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? He's saying, if, if you pay a soldier for his physical work, if you pay a shepherd for his shepherding and herding work, if you pay a farmer for his agricultural work, why should you not pay those who are doing a far greater work of caring for your souls and caring for matters that deal with eternity? Verse 12, if others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? Let's bring this into our day. Friends, think about the amount of things that you pay for without ever even thinking about it. When you go to the movie theater, you don't wonder why they charge you money for your ticket to see that show. When you go to the grocery store, you might wonder why inflation makes your bill as high as it is, but you do not wonder why they ask you for any money at all. When you go out to eat at a restaurant, you do not walk out without paying or even tipping that server. Why? Because they've served you, they've provided for you, and they have a rightful claim to be paid by you. Paul says, if others share this rightful claim on you, do not we as ministers of the gospel who care for your souls have the same rightful claim? Even more so, he says. Paul is, is building a rock-solid case for his right to be paid as a pastor. And, and listen, it goes on. He doesn't just use these illustrations. He doesn't just use an obscure text about an oxen in the book of Deuteronomy. Now look down at verses 13 and 14. He says, Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offering? He, he's referencing other Old Testament texts that speak of the priesthood being fed and provided for through the givings and the offerings and the tithes of the people. Deuteronomy chapter 18 says, And this shall be the priest's due from the people, from those offering a sacrifice, whether an ox or a sheep, they shall give to the priest the shoulder and the two cheeks and the stomach. The, the priesthood, really the Old Testament pastors and apostles, were to be provided for by the people of God. And then Paul says this extraordinary verse, In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. And that, that is a reference to Luke chapter 10 where Jesus is sending out the apostles to do gospel ministry and he tells them to eat and drink what others provide for them. Luke chapter 10 verse 7, and remain in the house eating and drinking what they provide for the laborer deserves his wages. 
And friends, we have other New Testament texts as well. Galatians chapter 6, verse 6. One who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches the word. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Friends, Paul has made an irrefutable case for how he and other ministers of the gospel should be paid for their ministry. Number one, we see it in other areas of life. Number two, we don't question it when other people are paid for their services. Number three, the pattern of the priesthood in the Old Testament reflects the same in our day. Number four, Jesus himself commanded that this be the case. It's a pretty strong argument, don't you think? And so listen, two things. First, and and I'll keep this very brief because it's not the main point of what Paul is doing here, but it needs to be said that, that we all need to be giving to the work of ministry within our local church. And so church family, yet again, I want to say thank you for being so generous. We thank God for you on a daily basis. But listen, if, if there are any who are not giving to the work of ministry here at Redeemer Fellowship, I do believe that God's word would charge you to begin to do so. That's, that's the clear argument from Paul and from other parts of God's word. God's people should give to the local church and to their pastors so that they can faithfully do the work of ministry. Church family, think about the good that could be done if more of us gave generously to the work of ministry. Think of the the mission that could be accomplished both locally and extra locally. Think about the other pastors and ministry team leaders that we could hire to do this work. And friends, I do think it can be said, it probably should be said that the the scriptures seem to point towards the fact that our giving should go primarily to the local church that we're a part of. Later on in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, Paul will end this letter by talking about other types of giving, giving that goes extra locally to other churches and other ministries, but, but here and elsewhere in, our, in the Bible, it, it speaks of supporting the local place that we are a part of. So that's the first thing. But second of all, we have to remember the main point of what Paul is saying here. Listen, I I really don't think that the primary reason that Paul wrote chapter 9 was to tell the people in in Corinth to to give more money. That might have been part of it. Some of them might have needed that reminder, but that's not why he makes this defense first and foremost. In the context, the main reason why Paul is saying all of this is because he is using himself as an example. He's setting up an incredibly strong argument about his right to be paid, and he's setting it up so that he might demonstrate for us how we are called all that times to lay down our rights for the sake of the gospel. But friends, the rock-solid case that Paul just made, it could be made about any number of rights in our lives. The application of this point here is, is not narrow. He's not only talking about the eating of food offered to idols. He's not only talking about getting paid. No, he's talking about a biblical worldview that says that we all have rights. He's, he's talking about a biblical worldview that's, that enables us as Christians to know that we have rights And a biblical worldview that enables us to hold loosely to those rights and to trust God when those rights are either taken from us or when we have opportunity to willingly lay them down. At the end of chapter 10, when when Paul is concluding this part of his argument, he's going to say, let no one seek his own good but the good of his neighbor." And that clearly has broader implications and applications than whether a pastor is paid or not. 
Paul, Paul is laying down a pattern for Christian living and for Christian loving that he exemplifies in his own life. And his example is grounded in the gospel and in the very life of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that brings us to our, our third and to our final point. Point number three, the proper use of our rights. Did you guys hear about the pastor in Brooklyn, New York from this past week who while he was preaching to his church family was robbed by armed men who came into his church and robbed the pastor and his wife at gunpoint? This pastor says that they stole over a million dollars of jewelry that they had on their person. <laughs> that is insane. First of all, it's crazy that they were robbed at gunpoint in the middle of church. That's horrifically sad. But it's also crazy that he and his wife had over a million dollars of jewelry on their person. Listen, if someone came in here to do that, they'd look, they'd be like, wrong place, we're out. <laughs> it's not, not going not gonna to meet their needs. I can't imagine having a million dollars, let alone a million dollars of jewelry on me, let alone a million dollars of jewelry on me as I preach the gospel. <laughs> and friends, I don't mean to judge. I, I don't know the situation in detail. And so most charitable thoughts, maybe he had a really big inheritance and he used it to buy a lot of chains. I don't know exactly what's behind this. But listen, I think that this might be the type of thing that led Paul to go without pay. He deserved to be paid. He was working really hard. He had the right to ask the church to support him in this way. But he did not want to put any obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Now, I think that's probably because within the city of Corinth, to be an orator, to, to be an eloquent philosopher was a very lucrative position. People would be thrilled to honor and support and to give to those who were eloquent and influential. Even as Kimbo read from Acts earlier, they were so affected by Paul that they wanted to sacrifice to him. And so I think that Paul wanted to create a separation between that inclination. He did not want to be compared to others who only did what they did to, to be paid the big bucks. He wanted people to know that he did what he did. He preached the gospel simply because it is the treasure of greatest value. And so friends, what is the proper use of our rights? Our country would say that the proper use of our rights is to demand our rights, to die defending our rights. In fact, the pastor who, who was robbed last Sunday, he did a few videos and he said in one of those videos, I know that people are going to have a problem with me having all of this jewelry, but he said, it's about me purchasing what I want to purchase. He said, he said these words, he says, it's my prerogative to do that. He's basically saying, it's my right to have a million dollars of jewelry. Friends, do you know what Paul would say to that? Look, look at your Bibles, look at verse 12 with me. After making a rock-solid case for his rights, Paul says, Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. But Paul does not even expect to receive a free meal from the church after the Sunday gathering. He is willing to work two jobs in order to get by. He's eager to go without, even at great cost, to himself. He's willing to endure anything, he says. Why? So that he might not put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. And friends, Paul is not saying that we don't have rights. He's not even saying that pastors should not be paid. He actually says the exact opposite of that. He is saying, I am willing to, 
And church family, we should be willing to, to be willing to give up anything in order to promote the gospel for the well-being of those around us. Why? Because this is the very heart of the gospel. Later in chapter 11, verse 1, as he concludes this argument, he says these words, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Paul is willing to endure anything because his Lord Jesus Christ already endured everything for his sake. And friends, there's no better place to consider this together than Philippians chapter 2, where Paul says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the very form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Hold on a minute. Pause. Friend, when was the last time you slowed down to consider the message of the gospel in this way? When was the last time you reflected on this truth? Don't rush by this this morning. He was in the very form of the living God. He had equality with God. Talk about having rights. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He had every right. He had every privilege, every prerogative. He deserved all the praise, all the glory, all the comfort, all the respect. But he made himself nothing. He took the form of a servant. He became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Yes, he had rights. Yes, his rights were a good thing. And yes, he laid those rights down so that you and I might put our faith in his sacrificial work on our behalf and become reconciled to God and become his very children. There, there is no greater love than this, church. There is no greater humility demonstrated. There's no greater act of selflessness than this. And it is, it is this gospel, it is this good news that we live in the good of right now. Church, it is this gospel that reminds us that we have rights at all. God so loved the world that he gave his son. God loves us. He celebrates us. He loves to display his goodness and his glory through us. We are a chosen race, a royal priesthood for his own possession. God gave his very son so that his image in us might be seen and known and celebrated loudly. It is this gospel that Paul lived in the good of, that he knew he had rights and privileges within, and it is this gospel of grace that enabled him to lay those rights down so that he might share the blessing of the gospel with other people all around him. See, the gospel does not make us arrogant people. The gospel does not make us proud people. The gospel does not make us selfish people. No, the gospel makes us humble people, grateful people, and generous people. We, we are reminded of the great sacrifice that has happened to us, and we are therefore able to go and sacrifice for others. Redeemer Fellowship, yes, you have rights. Yes, they are amazing rights in God's sight. You are chosen by him, loved by him, celebrated by him. And yes, laying those rights down can be used powerfully by God to love and care for those around us, both inside and outside of the church. Friends, the, the primary application of this in the context is that we do not hold our Christian liberties too strongly. Our knowledge and our security in the gospel should not lead us towards living arrogantly towards those who have different levels of convictions than we do or who may live differently their Christian lives than we do. 
To, to ignore that is, is careless and, and in a horrible application of the grace that has been given to us. We should be patient and loving. We should, like Paul, be willing to never eat meat again if it makes our brother or sister stumble. Our hearts should be eager to love people in these practical ways. But friends, listen. The truths of this text apply broadly as well. You should think about the exercise of your Christian liberties within the church, but you should also consider how you live in this world. When you go into a store and someone behind the counter treats you poorly, you feel like they do not respect you rightly, how you respond to that disrespect, how you respond to your rights being ignored will demonstrate your understanding and the level of faith that you have in the gospel. If you go to a restaurant and your server gets your meal order wrong and is rude to you and then spills a milkshake on you, you have a right to talk to the manager and to fight for what is yours, but you also have an opportunity to humbly accept it and respectfully walk through it. I'm not saying that Christians can ever, can't ever do anything when they are wrong. We should often take action and defend ourselves, but how we do so matters greatly. If, if you're in a fellowship group and, and someone says something that is truly offensive to you, our culture says, lash out, put them in their place, win that argument, make it clear who's right and who's wrong. The gospel says that you don't need to be seen right in that moment. You can lay that right down and patiently love and respect that person as you find your security in Christ. Later today, when you roll up on that four-way stop and you clearly have the right of way, and then that dude rolls out in front of you, you have the right to be upset, but you do not need to express that right. Friends, this applies to all of life. Paul himself will be unjustly accused and threatened and ultimately thrown in prison. He will be wronged, but yet he says that even in his imprisonment, it is an opportunity to share the gospel with those around them, only that more might be saved. Paul will go on to say that he is willing to become all things to all people, that by any means necessary, he might save some. That does not mean that he enters into sin with people. That does not mean that he ignores all injustice or that he celebrates when he or someone is mistreated, but he is so aware of the gospel that he is willing to endure anything in order for others to see the reflection of Christ alive in him and hopefully come to faith in Christ themselves. Going back to chapter 8, verse 1, Paul says, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Because of the gospel, Paul is willing to spend his life in order to build up those around him. Redeemer Fellowship, may we too be willing to endure anything in order to build up the church and to care for his people and to bring him glory. Yes, you have rights. Yes, they are important. And yes, laying them down for the sake of others is glorifying to God. Let's pray.